Fifteen years ago, fueled by a passion to make my city of Southampton a better place for my daughter to grow up in, I started volunteering. Then one day, I decided to do more. I set up a mentoring project for young black people in the local area, began contributing to inner city regeneration projects, and started hosting a community radio show championing local marginalised voices. And now I want to hear how others are joining together to support their communities, how one person's idea to fix a problem in their neighbourhood catches momentum, draws others in along the way, and together they make huge differences in their local areas. I'm Veronica Gordon and this is Then One Day, the podcast that explores that special moment when communities come together to transform the places in which they live. Throughout this series, we're going to get to know the people and stories behind some extraordinary businesses. I'm talking about organisations founded by and at the heart of communities across the country. And I'm hoping to discover some tips along the way. What would you do? if you saw a part of your community was about to be lost potentially forever. A group in the north of England were faced with this dilemma. So to find out what they did next, we're heading to their picture postcard village of Banford, nestled among the hills of Derbyshire between Manchester and Sheffield. My name's Mark Borden, and I live in the beautiful village of Bamford, which is set right in the heart of the Peak District, in Hope Valley, very apt name, Hope Valley. The beautiful peaks all around us, really. We're right underneath Bamford Edge, sitting alongside its Stanage Edge, which is where we get an influx of people that come out looking to climb, looking to cycle and walk. Bamford is a very small village in some respects. You know, we've still got some shops remaining. So we've got a dentist and we've got a bakery. We've got a church. And of course, we've had sporadically a pub over the years, which is the nature of this story, really, which has been uh, our fight, really, to maintain a pub in the village. And this crucial part of the community is called the Angler's Rest. Or the Anglers, as the locals say. Well, good evening, everyone. It's my pleasure and joy to welcome you all here tonight. I'm really glad that you're all here tonight and I'm especially glad that Phil Taylor and the band here have come down and supporting us in this way. So let's give them a warm welcome. Thank you very much. The Anglers hosts a variety of music nights, including their popular folk evening. Thank you. So we're going to start with All Around My Hat. All around my hat I will wear the green willow All around my hat For a twelve-month and a day But things haven't always been so idyllic in Bamford. In 2012, this pub came under threat and there were plans to turn it into expensive housing. Being an active member of my own community in Southampton, I'm always in awe of what communities achieve when they pull together, and this one is quite something. Today, the tale of how a determined group in Derbyshire saved the last pub in their village and reignited the community spirit. Jonathan Ninley runs the Folk Night and is chair of the association that manages the pub. He's going to take us on a tour of the place. It's a long, thin building, not very deep. You've got the big bar area, then beyond that, a small area where we have tables for dining, and then the snug, which is where I am at the moment, which is kind of big paving slabs, the old stone slabs on the floor, beam ceiling. 
So that's all kind of to the left, uh, the left-hand two-thirds of the building. There's a small post office area just kind of beyond the bar to the, to the right. Yes, you heard that right. A post office in the pub. They also have a cafe. You see, the owners of this pub have been very creative in how they run the place. You'd have people in here eating, you'd have people in here socialising, you'd have what you might describe as some serious drinking going on. <laughs> um, and, and everybody having a good time, basically. Yeah. And then once or twice a month, you have the folk night. Once a month, you have vinyl night. Once a week, we have quiz night. So lots of stuff going on as well. But let's rewind a bit. 20 years ago, when Jonathan was quite new to the village, there were some telltale signs that things weren't looking good for the pub. Well, when we first moved, it was open regularly. I wouldn't say it was thriving, but it was mm-hmm. kind of, it was running. And over the first couple of years, it, it kind of declined quite a lot. And then it had a whole series of landlords came in, none of whom lasted very long. So I guess over the period from sort of 2000 to 2010... It gradually fell into, you know, not very many people coming in, a small handful of very regular regulars, um, and that was pretty much it. I didn't always... I I used to come in occasionally, but not very often, because it it didn't feel terribly kind of welcoming, to be honest. But in spite of this, it was still a useful part of the village that showed a lot of potential. Meet Beck, Bamford resident, beer-brewing fan, and a key voice in today's story. Yeah, so we moved out here about 12 years ago, bought a house, renovated it, and uh, we used to come up to the pub when we were doing our renovations. It kind of kept us fed and, and watered while we didn't have kitchens and things like that. But perhaps inevitably, the pub closed its doors in 2012. It was a kind of sense of, it's a real shame. Uh, you know, this is, a, this is in many ways a, a honeypot, Derbyshire, Peak District village, where tourists come and you need to have a place for them to go to get something to eat and drink. Uh, so it's a real shame that there wasn't uh, anything. So I, I think a, a slight sense of sadness, but also, if I'm honest, a sense that it, it had been coming for a long time because it had been on this kind of downward trajectory, it seemed to me, for, for quite a while. Hearing that the plan was to make it into like executive housing that nobody local would be able to afford, I think people were quite cross about that. When we first heard that the pub was going to close, um, you know, the first sort of impression wasn't to rush to think we can probably, you know, um, get the community together and save the pub. It was much more just the disappointment of thinking about what would our village be like um, without a pub at all? You know, what would it be like, you know, it starts to become a bit of a run-through between Manchester and Sheffield. Um, I mean, obviously, we want it to be a, a place where people stop and, you know, families can come and meet. Everything put together just created a, a sense of, actually, when, when Mark and Beck and others started to talk about saving the anglers, I think me and many others thought, actually, if we can do that, that's a really good idea. A group kind of got together and, and called a public meeting. I went along and um, we had quite a good discussion about what we wanted uh, from the pub in the long term and, and what we could do. And a small sort of steering group came out of that, which I was part of, to then sort of look at what the options were, you know, whether it was realistic, whether we could actually do this. But the seed had been planted 
and the village got to work. Initially, we had a, a number of quite small meetings with a number of just enthusiastic people. And after a little while, we thought, well, we need to take these ideas to the village. And of course, when we first spoke about the idea, I think generally people were obviously quite sceptical about how would this actually work? Can you raise that amount of money to actually purchase a pub? How does it work when a community actually owns a pub? I mean, are they in there pulling pints? And, and that's when things, I guess... We, you know, the reality of it, the whole situation hit us about what does it really mean for the community to own and run a pub? Well, they were about to find out. Beck happened to have a background in bid writing, so was able to lead the finance side of things, and the community came up with a plan. Firstly, they protected the building, registering the Anglers' Rest as Derbyshire's first community asset. They then raised a huge £263,000 by selling community shares, meaning members of the community actually bought shares in the pub, investing in the place. That is how much they cared about it. I was particularly intrigued by this. I know there's 300 shareholders. <laughs> yeah. How yeah. do you convince people or, or, or how do you motivate people to put their money in such a dream? Yeah, I mean, dream is the right word, I think. It, you know, when we started out, none of us really knew whether it was going to be possible. We went through a process of asking people to pledge to yeah. begin with. So we said, you know, don't give us the money, but tell us whether you would be prepared to invest. And if so, give us an idea of how much. So that gave us the confidence that we could potentially raise the money. In order to convince people, we had public meetings, we answered everybody's questions, we wrote a business plan, we wrote a share offer document. We also had a bit of an open day mm -hmm. because what we hadn't ever had in the village was a cafe. And I think trying to show people that a cafe in a pub, I think that, that was kind of a bit of a strange idea <laughs> yeah. to begin with. So we had a bit of an open day where we managed to um, open the pub for tea, coffee, cakes. And I think that showed a lot of people that, uh, that that was possible. I think the other thing that really kind of made the project what it is, was um, bringing the post office into the mix. So people that wouldn't necessarily come into the pub would wanted to protect the post office and keep the post office in the village. Was there a post office in the village previously? Yeah, there was, but it was also under threat of closure. Uh, the way the post offices were funded was basically changing, which made kind of standalone post offices not really viable yeah. anymore. So, you know, you'll probably notice post offices in spas, in petrol stations, in, you know, in all sorts of different places now. So our plan was to bring it into the anglers. So the community was now literally invested in the project. But I wondered why they decided to raise community shares instead of looking for a grant. When we were setting up, you know, organisations like The Power to Change didn't exist. Yeah. So I think, um, you know, with my background in, in bid writing, one of the first things that I said at the public meeting was, you know, don't expect to get a grant yeah. to make this possible. There isn't, there wasn't that sort of funding available to buy a pub, you know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> what funder would help a community buy a pub? Luckily, our funders are a bit more enlightened nowadays and uh, they see that that sort of thing is actually a worthwhile investment but um no it was very much the shares and then we topped up with a loan from a social bank so triados gave us uh, a loan towards the purchase of the building but the fight was far from over when the community found out that you may lose the pub to a housing developer and houses may be built 
What did that feel like? The main feeling was of, of having been cheated, really, I think, because we felt like we'd done everything right. You know, we'd followed all the processes. We were so close. We'd raised the money. We kind of won the contract to put the post office mm -hmm. into the pub. And then obviously to hear that they'd agreed a sale with somebody else was really devastating. And I think because we'd followed all of those steps, people felt really cheated, as I say. And I think that kind of galvanised people to take action. There was a huge community effort to write to the MP. We wrote, we phoned. There was even, I think, a plan to organise a minibus and go and sit outside the uh, the owner's <laughs> building and, uh, and kind of protest at, at one point. People took a lot of action and I think when we went to see our MP he said the thing that had really kind of made him aware of it was the fact that he got lots of individual letters from people in their own words about why this was so important so it wasn't just a petition everyone was was kind of responding in their own way so some people were very angry some people were very upset and I think that that kind of highlighted to him how important it was to kind of step in and, and help us out. With their MP behind them, the community continued on their mission. They used all the tools they had at their disposal, from social media to legal advisors and even took to the national press. Nothing was going to stop them winning back their pub. Eventually, in 2013, the residents were victorious and were declared owners of the Angler's Rest. After all that campaigning and getting onto the MP and everything, when you found out that you guys were going to be successful and you're going to own the building, tell me how you felt. I think it's fair to say that there was quite a big party that night in Bamford. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we didn't have the, the pub at that point. Yeah. So I do remember one of the steering group members knocking on my door with a crate of beer oh. uh, to let me know that the sale was back on and then eventually you know word kind of filtered around to to everybody and I think it most people ended up at my house uh, that <laughs> night and it was was quite a big party but what we then very quickly realized was that there was also a lot of hard work to be done so start thinking about recruiting staff getting ready for opening so after all of that long struggle and it's finally time to open the doors what was your opening night like it was amazing. I've never experienced anything quite like it. The staff behind the bar were pulling pints as, as fast as they possibly could and they still weren't keeping up with demand. Uh, we had a fantastic band. We had, you know, we had everything from sort of very young baby through to kind of 80, 90-year-olds. Everyone was just out celebrating I think there was a point where people couldn't actually get in the building. Um, it was so busy. After the music finished playing and the glasses had been cleared away, the community got cracking. They received funding from Independent Trust Power to Change to renovate the pub, added a cafe into the mix and even got the planned post office up and running. And I think something beautiful, I, I think, is when you write something on paper and you see it come to fruition in front of your eyes. When you were writing the initial bid, what now has just totally blown you away? 
Yeah, I, I mean, definitely the cafe. I think, you know, when, when we wrote the first business plan, um, we did, really didn't have any idea of what the demand would be for a cafe, you know, genuinely. Pe- people said, yes, we would use it, but you never quite know whether that's going to actually translate into into real demand. But the cafe, you know, is a real a really valued part of the community. We have art exhibitions in there. We use it in the evenings for kind of the launches of art exhibitions. So, you know, local artists get the chance to exhibit their work and, and sell it as well through the cafe. I think it's really interesting as well how, you know, you, you kind of write something on paper and you think, right, that that's how it's going to be. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when you start actually delivering it in reality, it goes off in, a, you know, a hundred different directions. So <laughs> people come along and say, well, can I set up a vinyl night? Can I set up a folk night? Can I set up a mental health group? People take the Angler's Rest and they use it however they want because they own it. And this is where vinyl record fan Mark comes back in. Once we got the pub, we thought about lots of different ideas about things that would get a range of different people from the community together. And we came up with a range of different ideas, but the one that I was very keen on was Vinyl Night. We thought, yeah, it would be fantastic to see how many sort of closet vinyl fans there are out there in in Bamford. So we just put some posters around Bamford, set up an old uh, stereo system, old old vinyl player with, you know, some speakers and an amp. To our amazement, we had like 20 or 30 people just to sit around, play vinyl, chat and just share stories really about listening to vinyl and, and their love of music. So after that... Um, Vinyl Night became a thing, really. So what Vinyl Night shows about the community, which I I really value, is that we get people of all age ranges there, of all musical tastes there, but have all got this shared experience of loving putting a needle on a record, listening to a record like you you may have done in the old days, where you you look at the record covers, you listen to the music together, and then you tell stories. And we've had some wonderful storytelling from people across the village, um, sharing stories about, you know, some of, some of the people that they've put on records and explained how they're actually on that record. You know, they actually played in that band or they were connected to the, the music in some way. And so the night really isn't a night of list, sit, sit down listening to music. It's a night actually of storytelling that emerges. And that's, the, that's when, you know, I think that the magic of Vinyl Night really kicks in. Um, and we have different themes every month. What does a pub mean to me? I mean, the, the pub now means that um, I think we've got a place where it's where almost like our friendship group has grown. So now, um, I, I think we moved into Bamford in the, in the early 2000s, 2003, 2004, and we knew our sort of immediate neighbours. But now I can honestly say that I could walk through the village and I would know or feel connected to 99% of the people that, that we see because the pub's become a bit of a hub for the community. It's kind of become more than a pub it's become more like our our friendship group really so in that respect it's you know really the, the, the heartbeat of the village the chair jonathan agrees i think what we've shown here is that putting an enterprise at the heart of the community and putting something like benefit to the community at least as high as making a profit is both possible and massively advantageous and actually commercially a good thing to do as well. It's a bit of a cliche, but we can do so much more when we work together than we can if we isolate ourselves. 
And this has become particularly obvious during the pandemic this year. Although the pub had stopped pulling pints for a period, they didn't stop serving the community in other ways. Bamford was very quick in setting up a mutual aid group. We had the infrastructure of the anglers, so we had a phone number, we had an email address. So we kind of had that already a step ahead, if you like. Uh, We had an existing group of volunteers who could go out and deliver leaflets. The impact of having such a community space is clear. In fact, 300 villagers' vision of what the pub could become was so enticing, they put their own money into it. And with this in mind, I had just one more question for Beck. For somebody in a different community, so there's a few residents and they're looking at a pub that's just closed down in their street or in their neighbourhood. Yeah. And they're dreaming, oh, I wish one day that could be a community pub. What tips would you give them? I think the key thing is find out what people want because the key thing is getting people through the door. And if they won't use Mm -hmm. it and it doesn't appeal to them, then they won't come in you know you can be sure that there will be another community that's done something similar so talk to them find out what they've done and then yeah get on it it's been wonderful hearing how the people of Bamford saved the last pub in the village and it's made me think about the communities in my city who don't have a space to come together I want to tell them about Bamford about the anglers about how it's possible to breathe life into that disused building in your neighbourhood and turn it into a place full of love and laughter. If you, like me, have been inspired by anything you've heard in today's episode, head to powertochange.org.uk for more information. Make sure you join us in two weeks' time for our bonus episode, where we'll be sharing some very useful community business tips... Then One Day is a Pixie production and thanks to Independent Trust, Power to Change, who brought you this podcast. I'm Veronica Gordon and I'll leave you now with some final words from Mark and one satisfied Bamford villager. Along the journey, there's been some lovely stories that have emerged from the community uh, since we've had the pub open. We got a lovely uh, letter from a member of the community in the early stages saying that the pub had given her her confidence back. You know, since uh, since she'd lost her husband, she hadn't really felt the confidence to get out and mix with people. But now she felt like just down the road, she could go into a, a cafe and know that she meets a friendly face. And, you know, she wrote a, a lovely letter saying, thank you for giving me my confidence back. And it's those sort of stories really, I think, at the heart of it, you know, beyond the big story about, you know, buying the pub and, and, and it being run by the community. It's those little stories that are the real magic of it, I suppose. It's all for my true love, who's for my true love.